Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I think you're going to enjoy this interview with the one and only Laura Sanko, who's ready to make her big debut as part of the commentary team for a full UFC card this week. I've worked with Laura since the first season of Dana White's Contender Series back in 2017. Really grateful to call her a friend, and I'm excited for her as she grows into this new role. It's one that she's been wanting for a long, long time, and she's earned it. As always, you can find me on social media at TV on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I'm always trying to drop content from this podcast and more. You can check out the show if you want to watch it on UFC Fight Pass and also check out my YouTube channel. Just search Fitz Nation. And I just dropped some merch. There's some t-shirts. Not too robust in the selection yet, but there's a link down in the show notes if you want to help support the show. Let's get into it. It's time for the Fitz Nation podcast with your host, Brendan Fitzgerald. Okay, it's my good friend Laura Sanko back on the show. Hi, Laura. Back on the show. Back on the show. Doing well, by the way, Brendan. It is. It's been doing good. Thank you. Thank you. I've opened it up. Honestly, I've taken a page from Laura's wearing a one-on-one hat. That's her YouTube channel. I, I honestly did it by accident, but I just thought yesterday, I'm just like, oh, I'm kind of doing what Laura's doing. Some long form interviews, some yeah. behind the scenes, just roll camera on stuff, put it out there. Yeah, like just it. content, you know, let, yes. let the people know what's up. And yeah, you got to get yourself some some hats so that you can shamelessly plug. I know I have shirts. I'm getting into the, people's yes. <laughs> I'm walking slowly into the merch game. Very slowly. I'm going to get you some some stuff. All right. So uh, can, let's start. Well, I'll say this back on the show because you were back on the show in November of 2020. It was yeah. episode 44. And that one is like the journey, the full journey, the Laura yeah. life kind of story, your way to mixed martial arts. This one's going to focus more on the news at hand. Okay. Can we make the announcement here? I mean, don't worry. This isn't uh, live or anything like that. And we'll put it on after. But. Yeah. It's a big uh, start of 2023 for you. It is. It is. It's a really big start. And um, it's it's actually something I've known about since September. So, um, wow. Yeah. It's been hard. It's been hard to not talk about it. Yeah. Okay. So the announcement is Laura co- commentary, color commentary for a UFC fight night card, February 4th, Lewis versus Spivak. Yes. And, uh, you found out about it in September. So I just kind of want to go through this and unpack it if you want to. Yeah. Um, what was it like to find out about it in September? That's pretty far in advance usually. It was It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. And it was not unlike uh, when I found out I was going to be calling Contender Series for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of sudden and somewhat unexpected, but a little bit of... Um, a little, a little bit of me putting myself out there and making a case, but then of course not knowing if that was going to be received well or not. And then you know it's kind of one of those things where I'll never forget where I was when Zach called me and said, "Hey, you know, Craig and I and Dana talked about this, and um, we feel like it's it's the right move, and we're uh, we're ready to switch you officially into this lane." Which is why you've seen me do a lot less and less and less reporting. Right. Um, in the past few months, everybody's like, did you get fired? I was like, no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> so you're moving into that. So, uh, but you kind of, what? You made like, a, you, after calling Contender Series for two seasons now. Yeah. Where you just kind of like, I want to do it now. I'm ready. Yeah. 
Yeah, I yeah. did. And I think in, in any situation like that, it's such a it's such a tricky thing because you know the squeaky wheel gets the grease, but the annoying wheel gets drowned out, right? So you have mm -hmm. to ride that line of like um, making a case for things that you feel like you can do. And the most important thing is I wanted, I, I knew I could demonstrate that I could add value to the broadcast. And that's the most important thing in what we do, right? It's not about me and what I want, you know, from their perspective, certainly not. It's about how can I make the UFC product, even just a modicum better or, or more well-rounded, not necessarily even better in this case, but more well-rounded. And so I kind of, I put that case forth, uh, to Dana. And I, I, I <laughs> it's such a funny thing because conversations with him are always, you never, I, I'm never entirely sure how he's going to read me uh, uh, approaching him, but I basically laid out a case and he, he kind of was like, I thought we were already doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, so it is, it is funny. Like, like he is, like, he does have his hands in everything in terms yeah. of the product, but yeah. then other times too, I think he's just like, isn't that happening already? Yeah. You know? Cause if you remember after when I, when I made the jump and started calling fights for contender series, he did a series of interviews and, um, I think someone asked him whether that meant I would also be doing fight night. And he's like, yeah, you know, she'll be doing that by the end of the year. So I kept my mouth shut and waited and end of the year happened. And then the whole next year happened and I was finally just like, you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to put myself out there again and see, see what the response is. But it was, like I said, it was most important that I had two years that at that point of demonstrating my capabilities. It wasn't just like I was asking for something or not even asking, but just making a case for something that I had no business making a case for. I felt like there was enough uh, hay in the barn, so to speak at that point to, to be like, Hey, can we, you know, can we give this a shot? Yeah. Do you view your kind of journey with the UFC? I view mine as like zero to 60. Yeah. I called contender series in my role for uh, four shows on an eight five, first season. And then I was doing play by play, like, you know, three yeah. months after that, four months after that. And then I was just because of timing really um, was just the second guy. And then all of a sudden it was like anic pay-per-views, big shows, me fight yeah. nights. How do you view yours? Because there's been different layers to it. Yeah, I don't, it hasn't felt that way to me. It's funny because a lot of people from the outside seem to have that perception. And I get, questions get sort of phrased that way to me a lot whenever I'm doing an interview about me. And it always kind of takes me by surprise because to me, it has not felt fast at all. Um, but that's probably because, you know, what generally what people end up seeing is the end product. When I've actually finally made whatever it is I'm trying to do, whether it was my initial trying to work for the UFC, whether it was, um, you know, trying to do a, a, trying to do a spot on the desk, whatever it was. I think the problem is that people are only seeing the successes because that's, yeah. that's what makes it to, to air. Right. But right. I've been covering MMA in some respect or another and trying to do, I would not call this commentary, but fight break down since 2010. <laughs> so wow. And been, I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 I, I actually, my first, I don't know if you can call it a job if you don't get paid to do it, but you do it for free. I, sure? I did it for, I did it for tickets. So when Titan was in Kansas city, Titan fighting uh, used to have almost all of their shows in Kansas city. And I really wanted to be there. I wanted to be octagon side and like 
in the action. And so I kind of made this deal with some blog at the time. I don't even remember what it was. Um, and I was like, hey, I will type out blow by blow recaps of these fights and I'll send them to you guys. You guys can post them if you just get me a ticket to the fights and I can sit like octagon side and they had a you know connection with the with the promotion. And so that's kind of how I started doing it. And it was, they were horrendous. You know, I was literally sitting there with my laptop going, you know, so-and-so threw a left hand and then so-and-so went for a takedown. And then. <laughs> so you were doing this on Twitter or just like you were going to give this to them this after probably before Twitter, right? I don't remember blog. Twitter... Well, 2010 Twitter was like I was two or three Twitter. years old at that point. Yeah. <laughs> but you were just like, I want to be in it in some regard yeah. but back then you probably are you still in venture capitalist? i was an amateur yeah i was an amateur and yes i was still working in vc stuff so it was still it was like a, another extension of my very dangerous hobby so i was i was training i was fighting as an amateur but i i, I already knew that i wanted to not just participate in the sport but cover the sport and and mm -hmm. um articulate the sport i guess is a, right. is a good way to put it and so that was really my first foray into that and then i mean i can tell you countless stories of success and failure that have happened in the last sure. 13 years yeah and now um was that just because you were so obsessed with the sport that you were like i don't care what comes of yeah. this i'm just like it's almost like if you're just getting into painting you're like i'm gonna go to every museum i can and then i'm gonna go to the local art place and just talk to the guy who knows stuff not because i'm gonna be a pro artist someday just because i love the hell yeah. out of it right now is that what it was for you that's exactly what it was for me exactly yeah. what it was and, it, and especially too you got to put yourself back in, in that time period because this sport has grown yeah so it wasn't quickly. on fox yet wasn't i always fox. say 2011 was when it got to fox sports and even yeah. still how much growing did it have to do but a hundred percent. And then even the female side of things, there weren't women in the UFC, Not in the UFC we were right? still years yeah. away from that. And so from my perspective as an athlete and as just someone who loved MMA in general, this was never about bending up on television. That was never going to happen in my wildest imagination. Yeah, It was never about any amount of money or fame because that wasn't even really a thing. It wasn't a realistic career path for me, whether it be broadcasting or as a fighter, it, that really wasn't even an option at the time. I just loved the sport. I loved what it did for me as a person, what it did for me mentally and the mentally. And I was just obsessed, as you say. Yeah. Yeah. Those things are great though. I mean, I see it now, like your son is second grade, my son's seven. So it's like, you see that when they just get obsessed with something and they uh -huh. just want to do everything related to it. And it's like, Fortnite. that should it should never leave. It should never leave. You know what I mean? We should yeah. all find those things that change over the years. Also, back then, the old media rules were still in play. Like YouTube channels and podcasts and things were just like, like you couldn't just be like, yes, I'm going to get in media because I have a, an iPhone. Yeah. And, exactly. and that, you know, and now it's just a totally different thing. When did you start working for Invicta? Oh, that's a good question. I started working for Invicta. It would have been Invicta FC 9. So I think that was early 2015. I could be getting okay. that date wrong, but right. And that's right when now. you start doing like the reporting or the, the interviews afterwards. Yes. Yes. So my first foray into television, although not on CBS or NBC or anything like sure. that, still felt very big because it was live. You yeah. Know, I've never yeah. done anything like that before. And I did all, I did my best to kind of prepare myself for it. I grabbed a friend who had a camera and we went to some local amateur shows and I tried to do some post-fight interviews and 
I, if, I'm sure that footage exists somewhere and I'm sure it's just absolutely laughable, but I, I would already then I was, I, I knew that because I was so inexperienced, I had to do whatever it took to just beg, borrow and steal experience, credibility, whatever it was, yeah. I was willing to try anything. And that that's kind of something I'm still doing to this day. I'm doing crazy things to try to make myself better prepared for this role. Like what? Um, so I have, I hired a, I'm still in the process of working this out with him, but there's a guy in the industry who's, in my opinion, one of the best tape study guys that's out there. And his name's Barry Robinson, phenomenal striking coach. And I've always followed his content and appreciated it. But what I really love about his stuff is he just has an eye for seeing the bigger picture and the bigger strategy and things. And I know that when I'm calling fights, and you probably know this from calling fights with me, my grappling knowledge is great. I love, you know, I can, I can identify submissions coming, going, I can be predictive with it. Striking was never my main martial art. Mm -hmm. I can definitely call fights. I can, I, I can certainly see patterns in striking, but I just wanted to be even better in, in that realm. So I basically hired him to teach me how to better watch tape. I watch a shit ton of tape as it is. But if there's ways for me to do it either more efficiently or uh, more thoroughly or extract better information, then I want to do that. So I'm basically taking lessons in that. Yeah, also. no, that's good. I mean, everybody does have the uh, DC Olympic wrestler, right? Bisping, known as a guy with a big punch more yeah. often, you know, and uh, even just the call that I card the card that I called recently with Dom Cruz. Now, well-rounded guy, Dom Cruz, yeah. but he does have a lot of wrestling experience, more mm -hmm. so than Felder. So when they're on the ground, I specifically went to Cruz a couple of times to say, yeah. what does he need to do here? Um, but yeah, like everyone has their specialty and then you can always build on it. You know what's crazy too is like, it's still so, MMA is still just so young in that regard where watching film for you, correct me if I'm wrong, is like putting on a fight and then just like, maybe you pause it, maybe you rewind it but really just watching a fight with whatever TV angles there are. Is that correct? Is that how you do it? Yeah, I, I, I do it with certain objectives though, especially for contender series and road to UFC. It's always interesting because they're guys I've never seen before. Usually mm -hmm. totally fresh. You know, I have no preconceived notions about who they are as a fighter and what their strengths and weaknesses are. So what I try to figure out are, you know, are, are patterns, right. Um, tendencies, patterns, whether they be striking, whether they be, position wise, footwork wise, whatever it is, because if I see that in more than one, more than two, more than three fights, then come time when I'm calling their fight, I have a better chance of being predictive with what I, with what's going to happen and, or just providing a better picture of why this person's doing this, you know, yeah, yeah. there's a, there's a few times where like guys will do stuff that maybe is technically wrong but it works for them and right. i only know that it works for them because i've watched an inordinate amount of footage yeah so if yeah. you see them doing this uh incorrectly or by the book yeah you'd be like yeah but this is this is where they they're feeling comfortable right now this is their, exactly. where they want the fight yeah exactly yeah but um what i and then another wrinkle though of what i was saying is like you just put on fights is like in basketball and i'm sure this exists in football too and like I remember talking to a college basketball coach and he just like opened up his film thing 
and it was like uh you can just filter in and just be like all of their uh left side screen and rolls from the high block oh, I wish. in the second half <laughs> of a game and then it would just play and then it's just like everything in the database right yeah. so you could just go like okay bottom position guard closed full guard and then just like you see all of their work like that doesn't exist yet Wouldn't you know what i mean it's, getting, it's like maybe we're, we'll fast forward the sport a little bit but can you imagine Maybe maybe all like, these commentators can pool some money together and hire someone, some yeah. farm to start doing this. Because what you're describing- It's like a whole software thing. Oh my God, what you're describing would be the holy grail. But to your right. point, yes, no, that does not exist. So no, it's yeah. just watching a lot of fights and in a pretty inefficient way. But yeah, yeah. What you gotta do? Well, a lot of people ask too, and they're just like, well, how do you prepare? And it's just like, I don't know, like if you were gonna look up Julian Arosa, what would you do? Would you Google his name and then see what's out there? You know, yeah. and like we have the different, we have more things at uh at our hand. We have UFC Fight Pass, obviously, and then I can like text Julian, I can look up his yeah. number and the whatever, so that sort of thing. But um, it is, it's just a lot of get on YouTube, get on Google, look them up, see what's written try to try to track them down so you start doing when did you talk to dana at invicta when was that fateful mm. experience when dana's at an invicta and you said i'm gonna work for you someday yeah that was that would have only been two or three shows so i'd only ever done two or three invicta shows at that point only doing post-fight in cage interviews and then occasional sideline interview um yeah. but again this is like my third show and yeah, we found out, at least I found out last minute, I think everybody found out last minute that he was going to show up because it was when they were thinking of adding Cyborg to the roster and she was the main event on the card. And I think they kind of wanted to, you know, scout, see her fight, probably talk yeah. to her afterwards. And so my producer got in my ear. He's like, hey, Dana White's here. You need to go interview him. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah. was so It was so overwhelming because... I had been a fan of the sport for so long and I I've been watching him for, for years, for years. And it's kind of one of those surreal moments where it's like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to go interview one of my, uh, one of my, I, I don't know if I would call him an idol, but someone I certainly had looked to in this industry for a very, very long time. And I also know that he's maybe not like the, he is warm, but I don't know how to describe his person. He's intense. He's yes. very intense. Yeah. Yeah. And that can be a little intimidating at times. And pardon me if I've told you this. Have I told you this story before about what happened? And I forgot it if you did. Yeah. So it's Invicta. It's not a UFC production. We have yeah. a lot fewer people, a lot fewer camera people. Long story endless. The camera guy didn't get the message to meet me where Dana was to do the interview quickly and efficiently. Oh, so you're just standing. We're just 10 minutes, <laughs> maybe more. And you know how much Dana loves to wait. <laughs> oh, well, I was just going to say uh if if it was 10 minutes now in hindsight you can probably know well he probably oh. already liked me or was okay with the whole situation because if he if he wasn't then he would have been bolting at it, it after two it minutes. was just it was just good luck on my part that i think he was having a relaxing night because it wasn't his show he was just there yeah. to enjoy it. and both fertita brothers were there as well like sitting right next to where i was talking to dana so yeah. i did my very best to have charming polite small talk without making it awkward but it went on and on and on and in the back of my head i'm like freaking out like i can't believe it we're making this guy wait so long this is going to be such a rough interview now but it was uh it was good and then after just a quick interview about the evening and you know about chris and whatnot 
And I, again, I don't know what made me do it, but when we were done, I, I said, listen, I, I know I'm new to this, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to work for you one day. I really want to work for you one day. And he was sort of like, yeah, well, yeah, well, you know, we'll keep an eye on you. He was very kind about it, but it sure. wasn't like a, you know, sure. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Kind right. of stuff right now, you know? Yeah. And it was a lot of those moments really of me just sort of um, calling my, calling my shot, so to speak, over many, many years uh, to get to this, to get to this point. What did you have in mind when you said, I'm going to work for you someday? What did you think that was? Anything anything that wasn't a specific role that was just like i want to do what i'm doing and i want to take it to the top level yes. of this sport yes yeah. yeah and i i i just knew that i could i knew that i could participate and further the story and 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 be a part of the team i just i knew i was capable of it and i knew that i would be um good at it and would bring maybe a different skill set than than they had currently and I don't know. I guess I just had the the chutzpah to. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I don't mean this lim literally, but young and dumb is a great thing to be sometimes. Oh you no, know, I was like, both. I was yeah, both. Yeah, yeah. Like you get into something, and I remember thinking, "Gosh, I think after the Fresno show that I called my first UFC play by play, and I just remember being like." I don't even know if I can get better than this. Like I just crushed that. <laughs> like there are certain calls. I, I was like, I just crushed that. Like that was that good. Was you know, does it get better? And then now I like look back. I, I don't think I actually thought that, but like, I just I remember thinking saying. like, I am yeah. a natural at this. Like yeah. I am, this is my thing now. Cause yeah. I, I really love it. And it turns out I'm pretty good at it. And now I look back and I'm just like, Whoa. yeah. <laughs> yeah. For it's sure. like your voice is different, like because you're, oh. you know, the confidence is different. And I wasn't super confident. I, I knew that I could do the show, but uh, Contender Series is quite a bit different from a six yeah. and a half hour thing that it was is. on cable sports television to that point in my career. I had never uh, been on a network to that regard. So, uh, yeah, no, it's just different. But when you're when you're just into it, you're just like, oh just i'm just gonna crush it it's like, funny how our voices change isn't it because yeah uh, usc connected did like a little mini doc about basically the stuff that you and i talked about last time i was on your show and they they pulled a clip of my first ever ufc camera appearance nice and oh god it's so bad i'm like yeah. hey guys i'm here in salt lake city and <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think it's a weird thing it's like and, but I even listened to my voice on the Fresno thing, and I was ten, eight years in of a professional broadcast career at that point. Now, not in play-by-play -play and not in the sport, not where you're really coming on. But, uh, yeah, you just grow accidentally. You just grow that's, accidentally, and then you look back, and you just go, oh, well, it's a good thing I was confident back then because if I wasn't, then I probably wouldn't have made it this far anyways. Yeah, and I can think of some very specific times along the way where I – completely fell on my face you know mm -hmm. several of them there was one interview i did with <laughs> so embarrassing to talk about but i'll say it because it's true there was one interview i did with dana that was so bad that zach uh called me and asked me to apologize to him <laughs> <laughs> can you <laughs> it doesn't get worse than that well, when that. was that? 
Oh, I don't even want to talk about it, but I will. Oh, you don't you don't have to. No, no, it's to. fine. It's fine. I just my inexperience, like I just I just read the moment so wrong. And I was so focused on not screwing up the information that I wanted to, you know. Was this like 2018? Probably. It was it was um it was the 25th anniversary in Denver. No, that's what I was I was trying. God, you don't have to go. You know what I'm anymore. talking about. See, it's so bad. You know about. the interview I'm talking about. Well, I just remember what you're talking about because then, like, yeah, I just remember. Uh, well, that was a weird show, and that was a weird <clears throat> thing. But I, I have I an do remember that. I have. I mean, I. Have I also <laughs> think too. At that point, you are three years into being a TV broadcaster, well, and, and so I only interviewed Dana a handful of times because you're on Fight Night. Yeah, so it's like he's like not there all the twice. time at that yeah. point and so the nerves uh definitely kicked in and like well i just remember so that was like we we're coming off of the big fight with uh korean zombie and yaya rodriguez and the yep. huge elbow and i think the major issue was that you didn't start with that yeah like you didn't start with that amazing main event and that fight yeah. we had and whatever you kind of went 25th anniversary <laughs> and then did you go like through the card almost i i may have i i may have yeah. but i i feel like i went i realized pretty quickly because I think his look on his face like was like, I cannot believe you're yeah, asking I, me right, about right. the 25th anniversary when one of the most incredible elbow Fights just happened. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, you took you took too long to get to that. I to did. To get to that fight. When, yeah. But I will say this too. You know, the 25th anniversary show is one of the bigger shows that I've done. And I remember thinking, like, I can't believe it. I'm not even a year in and I'm doing the 25th anniversary show in Denver yeah. when we're doing the old graphics and whatever. Yeah. Now the week before, they were in Madison Square Garden, and that was like the real big show. Yeah. And it was just kind of weird. It was like, yes, we celebrated the 25th anniversary, but to and for me, it was a huge deal. And for people that were working on the show, I think it was a really cool thing. We were looking yeah. back and whatever. But I think people like from like the real big wigs were just like, okay, it's a fight night on Fox Sports One, and yes, it wasn't like this huge. We're going to celebrate thing, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, um, I, I'm with you. And I thought it was funny. a bigger deal very, than it was. He was very nice when I when I texted him. <laughs> mm. He was very he was very nice about it. Good times. Yeah. Now, um, did you know that like Heidi Andral isn't a career sports broadcaster too? Do you know her story? Like, well, she I, was I know like selling. She was like selling like helicopter parts and stuff. Like she was the same thing. She was in a totally different industry. And then she was on Celebrity Apprentice. And then, like, she was watching a hockey game in a bar with her friend. And she was like, I could do that. I could do that, whatever. Okay, and then so I behold, didn't know that. I didn't yeah. know that part. I knew she did hockey. And I knew that she'd been doing television a lot longer than I had. But I didn't realize that she She left, like, some six-figure job. Like, uh, I can't remember the name of the company. But, like, selling, like, helicopter parts. Like, you know, it's not like selling starters for an ignition for a car. It's like... yeah helicopter you know whatever aerospace she was like aerospace sure. engineering type of sale whatever um for you though why did you fall in love with the tv side of things uh for me it was just the closest replacement i could get to actually fighting you know i i've talked about this a lot but i knew i i, I knew that when i had my son that my priorities were going to change and the biggest thing for me was that there was not an atom weight division in the UFC. And so 
I just could not justify dedicating my life. I mean, we see what these, these fighters go through. It's, yeah. it's especially early on. It's a thankless sport. It's really tough. It's a grind. You have to be selfish and being selfish and being a new mom. Ugh, that's, it, it just doesn't work. So when there was no like mountain for me to climb, really no peak for me to ascend in the fighting realm. And then I sort of accidentally found myself in this television lane and I got the same rush of adrenaline and I got to be close to the sport that I love so much. And I got to be a part of the fighters stories in a, in a small way. Uh, it, it very much fulfilled at least a good portion of the part of me that didn't want to walk away from fighting. So it was kind of a, it's not a direct substitute. There's still definitely things I miss, but it fulfills a lot of the the emptiness that would have been there had I just walked away completely. I don't think I could have ever done it. Yeah. There's yeah. a live show adrenaline to it. And it's like, sure. again, it feels weird. Like we're not fighting, but it's like when I have a nice suit on and I walk yeah. out onto the arena floor and the lights are going and they give me a microphone and they're like, go. It's a lot of energy. Yeah. It's like, feels good. And I know I sound like a psychopath when I say this, but I... I like, I remember the first contender series. I don't remember who the fighter was, but he was just covered in blood. And like, you know, I, I'm, I'm touching his back to keep him from like moving out of the shot and from moving all over the place. And when the interview was over, my, my hand and my arm were just covered in blood. I've had guys mm -hmm. accidentally like spit blood on me because they still have blood in their mouth. <laughs> I freaking love it because it's so it's so raw and it's so primal and it's so intimate and it's so like, I don't know the, the there's something so intimate about fighting that even just being that close to someone who has just gone out there and poured their heart and soul into something is like, it's just so cool. And I yeah. love it. Yeah. I didn't lick it though. Like that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't uh, like that much. <laughs> well, I ask you because, and you're in a different role than me um, for the most part. But um, a lot of people ask me, like, I want to do what you do. Yeah. How, how do I get there? Or like, I, I would love that job. What should I do? What's your advice? And really, like, my first piece of advice is in my first kind of thing that I can say as to why that I'm here mm -hmm. is because I'll say I love sports broadcasting more than I love MMA. Yeah. Right. Like I'm not here because I loved MMA enough till I just got to the UFC. Mm -hmm. I'm here because I loved sports broadcasting enough. And then you carve out your career. Turns out I fall into like the UFC world and I'm just like, well, this is freaking awesome. Like this is the best job I've ever had, but you can't just like love jujitsu so much and then just be like yeah eventually you're going to be on a ufc broadcaster it's like no 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 you gotta like you gotta learn how to edit you get, like because all of those entry-level jobs on the way up mm -hmm. you know lead to that but for you it was obviously different because you yeah. did just dive straight into mma and then you find the opportunities there's different ways to do it but uh yeah mine, mine you was love cool. to have you do you have to love like studying the art yes. of what we do in a little yes. bit Yes. Yeah. Mine was almost the reverse, which made for some really unappealing television the first few years that I was <laughs> on Invicta and even, you know, my first year or so uh, in, in the UFC. Um, you know, when people ask me that question, my answer is always just you have to have the humility, I guess, to know that you're going to work maybe for free 
for mm -hmm. a while mm -hmm. and that you have to start at the very, very, very bottom yeah. and, and be okay with the grind of, of very slowly getting to where you are. And again, that's the perception of my career ascension is that it's been really fast, but um, I don't know from my, from my vantage point, it, it hasn't necessarily, I'm still thankful for the speed at which it has taken place. I'm not sure it's been like a 20 year grind, but it's, it's, there's been a lot of ups and downs and things that have happened behind the scenes that people just don't see. Well, yeah. And, uh, even for me, people are just like, oh, so like, how'd you find your way to the UFC? And I'm just like, well, uh, started in college and then, yeah. you know, it's just like, it's start. you know, my first job on air was in 2008. And before that I was behind the scenes in 2007, like writing news stories about mm -hmm. fires and car accidents. And that's like, that's where it started, you know? Yeah. And then there's like this whole thing. Um, so when you started, like, did you have that? confidence that naive confidence when you started doing the tv thing or were you very self-conscious about your ability at i was age? really self-conscious really self-conscious and uh -huh. so what at that point made it so that you're a self-conscious person who's in a new thing the tv on-air reporting mm -hmm. and what made it so that you could look ahead and just be like i i can do it yeah i i guess i shouldn't say i was overly self-conscious because i i guess i've been fairly comfortable and fairly okay at public speaking most of my life. My dad mm. did a lot of public speaking and I went to a lot of those things. So I think it was modeled for me from a really young age. So I guess in that way, I'm not, wasn't overly self-conscious, but I had never been on television and I'd never held a microphone before. And there's lots of things that I would have learned if I had gone to broadcasting school that I had no idea about and really had to learn through sheer embarrassment and failure <laughs> i'll say this though somebody who went to a communication school highly regarded with a journalism degree a lot of the classwork is not it like no. they don't teach you how to hold a microphone and how really? to, like yeah they like teach you more like theory and like do's and don'ts and of course it's journalism so it's mostly based on news writing and reporting and stuff yeah. like that and i'm just like a lot of my work, a lot of it comes from trial and error. It really does, yeah. which means that you can like really weaponize a microphone that's plugged into a computer and just get on mm -hmm. and start talking and uh, an iPhone that you can set up and just stand in front of a football field and pretend you're like doing a Monday night football injury yeah. report. Like you can do all that, you know, but to your point, you know, you are around it more. Obviously, I was around it more. And for yeah, you, very I, foreign. I um. I just fully relied on, and and still to this day, to be honest, I guess more so earlier, I knew that I knew the sport and I knew the sport better than what my teeny tiny record would seem to indicate because mm -hmm. I've been training a lot longer. And I've always kind of been a person who, regardless of what it is that I'm doing, I always ask why, whether internally or to my instructor or whatever, you know, they would say to do something. And I'm sure I annoyed a lot of people, but I would want to know why we did it that way. Like, don't just tell me to throw this combination and to, and to drift off to the side. Like, why am I drifting off to the side? And I think constantly asking the why of, of everything 
kind of helped me to better understand not just, you know, being able to execute drills on the mats, but understand the, you know, the tactics and then the strategy behind that. And for so, and for so long that it's allowed me to be able to, to communicate. And the word I like to use is curate, you know, curate the action um, as it's happening and do my best to tell the story of, of the fight itself. When did you want to switch over? Because I remember having a conversation with you and uh, I can't exactly remember what it was, but we were in the apex. So it must've been like 2019 ish. Uh And uh, it must've been season three of the contender series. Now that I'm thinking about it, but um, you're reporting contender series. You're doing a great job. You're on the fight nights reporting, doing a great job. And you're kind of like, I want to call the fights, you know? And I remember telling you, I was just like, I was like, it's a longevity thing. Like as long as you keep doing a good job and you're around uh, and and I think I use 10 years, which is uh, obviously foolish of me, but uh, (laughs) well, foolish. And then also to like, to put a timetable, I mean, like, I don't, I I was just saying like, listen, like you'll get wherever you want to go, but sometimes it just takes time in the market, you know? Um, but obviously it's not always that way. But um, what made you want to start calling the fights after you are in the reporting role and doing well? Yeah. I just knew that I just knew that I could do more. You know, I I remember one of my very first uh backstage interviews, um, one of my first shows, I wasn't great at at forming questions. And what would happen is I would just start to dissect the infer- I would start to dissect and analyze the fight and then like try to what figure do you out think? Turn that yeah, into yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so There's it was a lot of people like that do I was, that. Yeah, I was constantly kind of going in that direction anyway. I I knew that I knew that I could be more informative than a fluid relayer of information. Mm-hmm. Like Megan O'Levy is absolutely amazing at what she does and she and you and John have the hardest jobs of all of the broadcasters that lane to me is much more difficult and but i knew that like i could i could offer more than just relaying information that i had gathered throughout the week if that makes sense i wanted to i wanted to have an opinion i wanted to have a voice that people would want to listen to to some degree and i i just it was the first year of contender series really when that thought I had had the thought before, but it felt dumb to even think it, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense, because Mm -hmm. we all know that the vast majority of our color commentators are former UFC fighters other than Joe Rogan. Mm -hmm. He's the only one. And Joe is in a class, you know, Yeah, we had, we had Jimmy too. And Jimmy. Yes. Yes. Um, But there haven't been that many. It's not the norm. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And then again, no, no women in recent history whatsoever. So it felt dumb to even think about it, but I couldn't let go of the thought. And then the first year of contender series was when I infamously sent Dana that drunk text and told him that I've told you that story. Haven't I? No, I haven't. You sent him a drunk text. Yeah, I did. That said, I want to do commentate. Yeah. I said, not, not only did I say that I said, I'm going to be your first female commentator. (laughs) I will be the first female commentator in the UFC. And I sent it to him like 
it was afterwards. <laughs> I can't believe I told you this. Did story. you hang out with Snoop for a half hour and then probably? You said, oh, I don't yeah. know. It was, it was, it was late at night. I remember that it was early in the first season, and I was just loving it so much. Like I, that show to me allowed me to have a little bit more analysis because those immediate post-fight interviews, you you yeah. chopping up the fight a little bit more than you do for the Fox interviews, which are right. a little bit more storyline driven. So I was already loving that, and I just. I was laying there and I had a few drinks at the, at the Palms bar. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I texted him to say, you know, thank you so much for giving me this, this opportunity. I like, I love this job so much. Um, and I just want you to know that one day I will be the first female commentator in the UFC. And I sent it and it was like probably, I don't know, one or two in the morning, who even knows. And I th remember thinking like, I probably shouldn't be doing this, but whatever, you know. And uh, I think I was drifting off to sleep when I heard my, you know, my ding. And all he wrote, all he put was, I believe you. It wasn't, yes. It wasn't, right. oh, for sure. Right. It wasn't, uh, it was just, I believe you. And I, it could have been read, I believe you think that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, but, right. But yeah, so it was, it, it, this whole journey has really been a series of me kind of, being i don't know the word for it uh brazen maybe i don't know yeah. that's kind of a negative connotation well i think that um something that i'm starting to learn about and or not learn about but uh believe in more and more is the law of attraction mm. and when you and it's that it's always at play yeah whether it's by default and you don't tune into it or you actively think about it. Yeah. And I think of times in my past when I'm just like, gosh, like remember that lucky break that I had or remember, remember that thing that just fell into place for me or remember that negative thing that happened to me that I was obsessing over for two mm -hmm. or three months. Like, I hope this doesn't happen. I hope this doesn't happen. But it was all that I was thinking about. And uh, I'm starting to believe that more and more that we can like tune in and it's very clear for you of just like how much you've wanted it and how much you've thought about it mm -hmm. where it's like, I mean, you know, these like meditation gurus will just say, well, that's law. Yeah. It's law that it'll happen. If you emotionally feel it, if you emotionally teach your body to get into that state of what it's going to be like I when it happens, it then, it, then it it's law time. that it will happen. Yeah. I, I, for the longest time I would pack, a, it was always important to me, or I always felt strongly that I would have to look very different when I was doing analyst or commentary work, because it, it's really hard to change lanes from being a traditionally female role of a sideline reporter who, you know, a lot of times, you know, you'd kind of dress and look cute and you've got your dress on and like, it's, there's sort of a, a model there. There's a mold there. And it's really tough to take the audience or, or to take me and put me in this other lane and expect the audience to just go, Oh yeah, this makes sense. So subtle things like the way that I would dress, I mm -hmm. knew that I would be dressing differently when I would be an analyst and a commentator. So I used to pack a blazer um, for like every trip that we would go on just in case, just in case one of the guys got, you know, a raging case of food poisoning. Or something. Right, right, right. <laughs> Not that they would have called me and they probably wouldn't have, but for me, it was it was that manifesting. Like if I just if I just continue to believe that this is a possibility, um, and I continue to 
envision it and see it very clearly in my mind and, and, and know that it could be true, it's it's going to be true one day. Mm-hmm. And here we are. February 4th. February 4th. There you have it. Laura Sanko back on Fitz Nation. Our conversation went about 10 more minutes. That's exclusive to UFC Fight Pass. So if you want to hop on there and stream it and watch the final part of the interview, we talk about her changing role with the broadcast team. Now that she's doing commentary, she won't be doing the reporting role anymore, which makes sense. And we get into why, how it's, uh, you know, as a commentator, as an analyst, you're paid to have an opinion. As a journalist, as a reporter, you are paid to not have an opinion. And obviously the lines are murky these days with how content is. But it's really tough to do both of those roles where you're talking to fighters from a journalistic standpoint after a fight and reporting on it. And then other times being an analyst, critiquing their fighting style or having an opinion on who wins, who loses and what they did well, what they didn't do well. So she's off on her new path, but firmly a part of our team and uh, should be a big week for and beyond in 2023. Thanks for listening to the show. Drop a review, drop a comment, reach out to me on social media. Love all the support. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you next time on Fitz Nation.